0: Hopefully everybody has notes today. We will be referring to them briefly. Like I said before, the notes that we give out are for your personal study throughout the week. There are some things that I just don't cover in the notes, and that's okay, but that helps you come across maybe some new things to ponder and pray through and hopefully bring conviction so that we're changed more to the image of Christ throughout the week. Now if you're asleep, raise your hand. Okay, so make sure you guys are, I can already tell, I, I, that's probably why I need to stand down here, I can already tell, we got so much stuff going on today, we are going to do a lot of reading of scripture today, okay, so if you can stick with me, we have the Guinness Book of World Records here, we might set something, so we're going through a series called Foundational Framework, and the goal of this series is to properly understand Jesus, ultimately, But we can't understand Jesus who is God in the flesh and is the one who died for sin if we don't understand who God is and we don't understand who man is and we don't understand what sin is. So we have to go through and see the development and the painstaking patience of how God has sought to communicate to you and I His profound love and His desire to have closeness with you and me. So at the top of your notes, we always go through the things that we have found that are foundational mainstays so far, major themes in Scripture that we have covered so far. Number one, the Bible is God's self-revelation. God wants you to know Him, and He wants you to know Him so badly that He stooped of all things down to ink and paper to make it clear. Spending time in the Word is never wasted time. Number two, God is eternal, always has been, always will be. He is sovereign. He is a ruler. That's what he does. He rules over things. And he is also the creator. He is the creator. He is the maker of all things. And everything that he creates is good initially. It is only by sin that those things are corrupted. Number three, you and I are responsible. We are responsible agents. I can't tell you I'm so sick of hearing about this victim mentality. It's not my fault. It's not my fault. Well, who else ran up the $5,000 of credit card debt that you have? Because all the stuff on the list is in your house. Yeah, but it's not my fault. Blatant denial, man. Man is a responsible agent, and we are all held to a moral standard. And that standard is clearly laid out and unfolded in the law of God. The law is the written perfection of God. It's not wrong. It is good and it is holy. The fault in the relationship is the inability of human beings to keep it. Number four, sin originates within a person. And when we talk about sin leads to death, we're talking about separation. Sin is what separates us from God. If you are here today and you have not believed in Jesus Christ as your Savior who died for your sins, risen from the grave, has paid the price, the debt that you owe to God, you are still in your sins and you need forgiveness. Thankfully, the full payment for all sins has already been made by precious, perfect blood on the cross of Christ. And we're going to talk about that today. Notice also here that God declares someone righteous one way and one way only, and that is simply by faith. All the work has been done for us. The question is, is are you convinced that it's true or not? That's what it comes down to. So if you would, take your Bibles, turn with me to Exodus 25, Exodus 25, last week we dealt with the giving of the law and what is the church's deal in the law? finding that we have been saved from the law. The law convicts us of sin, but the church in no way is obligated to keep the law. The law was given for Israel so that they would be a holy society that would be a witness to the pagan nations around them of what holiness and goodness is. And when we look at such passages, if you want to clock this down, and you can look at it later, but Deuteronomy 4, verses 6 through 8, if you want to look at something like that, You see that God clearly communicates, this is the reason why I'm giving you the law so that you would be a witness, so that you are witnessing to the nations around you of what goodness looks like. And you also see the ability of the nations to be able to recognize what goodness and holiness and righteousness looks like. People may be sinful, but they're not stupid and they're not unable. They can recognize when the hand of God is doing something. Very important. So in chapter 25 of Exodus, we have a very interesting request by Yahweh. And here's what it says, verse 25. Then Yahweh spoke to Moses saying, Tell the sons of Israel to raise a contribution for me. From every man, interesting phrase here, whose heart moves him, you shall raise my contribution. In other words, it is a willingness to give. It is a willingness to provide forward. And we have a list, but notice what it says. This is the contribution which you are to raise from them. Gold, silver, bronze, blue, purple, scarlet material, fine linen, goat hair. And immediately all God's people said, what? Right? Goat hair? Hey, that's that's Jesus's grocery, or God's grocery list, not mine, right? Ram skins dyed red, porpoise skins, okay, acacia wood, oil for lighting, spices for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense, onyx stones, and setting stones for the ephod, which just so you know, an ephod was like a a, a chest piece kind of garment that the uh, priest wore but the reason why it's called a chess piece type of garment is because it didn't have any sleeves to it and notice and for the breast piece verse 8 let them construct a what a sanctuary for me and the question is why now watch this that I may dwell among them God wants to dwell with people God loves people In fact, people being God's special crowning creation at the end of what we see in Genesis and then the destruction of sin that separates us from Him is the whole reason why God takes 39 books to even get to the person of Jesus Christ because He wants there to be no question about who it is that's arriving on the scene and what He is seeking to accomplish through that let them construct a sanctuary for me that I may dwell among them verse 9 according to all that I am going to show you as the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all its furniture just so you shall construct it now let me give you an idea of what's going on here When you're dealing with this idea of the gold that was accumulated, where did they get the gold? Does anybody remember where they got the gold from? The Egyptians. God gave them favor in their sight and they said, can we have your gold? And they said, yeah, get out of here. Everybody remember that? And they walked away loaded. Let's be honest. In fact, I did an interesting little study. I found out how much gold was just in the tabernacle. We're not talking about the temple, okay? We're talking about the tabernacle. I'll give you a little interesting thing here. I painted all this by hand, okay? Yes, the Lord will reward my labors, I'm convinced. But when you look here at what's going on, and especially you're wondering like porpoise skin, goat hair, that kind of stuff, when you take this off, And you realize the gold that's underneath that's going on and the items that are in there. And you guys can come up afterwards and see this if you want. Oh, no. I hope the Lord still be glorified, right? But the gold that goes on in this, we're not talking about the temple where it was a full-on building covered in gold. Thank you, Sandy, so much. We're talking about just the gold that was included in these items here, okay? So if that is the case, I wrote it down. 1.65 1.65 tons of gold 3300 pounds of gold now remember the tabernacle was such as they tore it down and they set it up and they tore it down and they set it up so at some point while they're transporting you are carrying 3300 pounds of gold why do you think god had him in the wilderness he didn't want him running off somewhere like to las vegas and spend it right of course But the amazing thing is by today's measurements with the price of gold, just the gold in the tabernacle was worth $64 million. Just that. Not including the silver, not including the bronze. I'm talking about just the gold involved. God desires to dwell. What's interesting is is the first item that he brings up to make. Notice it says here, verse 10, They shall construct an ark of acacia wood, Two and a half cubits long, and one and a half cubits wide, and one and a half cubits high. A cubit is the measurement from your elbow to the tip of your middle finger. You shall overlay it with pure gold inside and out, and you shall overlay it, uh, and out you shall overlay it, and you shall make a gold molding around it. Now everybody go down to verse 17. You shall make a mercy seat. It's also what's known as a propitiatory. We'll talk about that in just a second. Of pure gold. Notice of pure gold. There's no wood involved in in this. And what the mercy seat is, is it is actually the lid of the ark that you deal with, with the cherubim that are sitting on top of it. Notice a mercy seat of pure gold, two and a half cubits long and one and a half cubits wide. And you shall make two cherubim of gold and make them of hammered work at the two ends of the mercy seat. Make one cherub at one end and one cherub at the other end. Notice they weren't. Fashion the cherub separately and then attach them on. It's all one piece. It is all whole and there is no break in it whatsoever. Verse 20, The cherubim shall have their wings spread upward covering the mercy seat. With their wings and facing one another, the faces of the cherubim are to be turned towards the mercy seat. You shall put the mercy seat on top of the ark. And in the ark you shall put the testimony which I will give to you. Here it is, verse 22. There I will what? There I will meet with you. And from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherub, which are upon the ark of the testimony, I will speak to you about all that I will give you in commandment for the sons of Israel. Now, All of the furniture in the tabernacle is important, and all of it points to Christ in some way. My goal isn't to go over all of the pieces of furniture, but I do want you to notice some very interesting things. Number one, this is what's called the brazen altar. And this is a place of sacrifice. In fact, our poor friend Mortimer here, this is where he goes. Stand in there. And they would sacrifice him to begin to bring blood out for the sins of the people. Of course, this bronze altar symbolizes the death of Christ, the Lamb for us. You then have this, which is known as the laver, which would be for cleansing. It would be filled with water. Before a priest could do anything as far as entering, he would have to sit there and wash up thoroughly before he was allowed to go in. As you can see in this section right here of what we're looking at, there was sacrifice that was gone on all over the place, and then it was cooked upon the altar or be sacrificed directly in the altar, Then the cleansing goes on. But one thing I want you to notice is with all of the pieces is that notice they're in the form of a cross when they're set up. Does everybody see that? In fact, another interesting thing is the children of Israel will be traveling throughout the wilderness and it would come time to stop. The pillar of cloud would stop. They would set up the tabernacle and when they would set it up, they would make sure that this entrance was facing the east. Only one entrance to get into the tabernacle. Does everybody see that? Everybody put it together. Only one way. Only one way to get in. In doing that, they would have the three largest tribes set up camp facing out of the east this way. They would take the six medium-sized tribes and put three on this side and three on this side and take the three smallest tribes and put them in the top. And what you would find in the middle of the desert is you actually had God causing them to encamp in a cross in the desert. Now, crucifixion hadn't even been invented yet. The Romans invented it. And here is God foreshadowing the type of what he is seeking to communicate here. When you entered into a place, which would be called the holy place. Mitch, can we bring that up real quick so everybody can see that? The holy place here. Notice that the holy place on the right-hand side is about two times as big. It's about a 30, 30 long by 30 tall with 15 across room but you still had a veil that you went behind now what's amazing about this is notice that the walls are covered in gold it's probably where a lot of the cost came from to do that but the reason was is because when you had the golden lampstand and you would light these lights the reflection off of the gold would light the entire room up now i actually went to a place where they tried to do a mock uh restructuring of the tabernacle out in this in this place where this ministry was, except they had tarps. I didn't find any porpoise skin or goat hair there. But they had tarps that were up, but you would walk into this holy place room and they had these candles going and it lit up the entire place. I think they had foil on the walls or something. They had done the best they could to put gold up there, but it was shining off of everything. Of course, the light represents Jesus Christ as the light of the world. Sorry, I didn't say it. This basin here represents the cleanliness, the purity that is required to enter into God's presence. This represents Jesus Christ as the light of the world. Notice that there are seven of them. Seven is the number of divine perfection before the Lord. You also had what was known as the table of showbread. In the showbread pieces, there were 12 unleavened lumps each. Not having leaven represented the absence of sin in the presence of God. One loaf was for each of the tribes of Israel, and it's what the priest only could partake of and then you have what is known as the altar of incense here and this altar of incense had a sweet smelling aroma that would burn there now how many people stayed in a hotel okay okay you husbands will know when your wife sends you down to get ice right and you open up the little thing and you get the shovel you shovel out that ice and put it in your bucket that's what's known as a censer in the old testament And what would happen is that whenever the priest would go into where the Ark of the Covenant was to make the offering, he would have to go in here and shovel one of those censers full of hot coals that he would take in with him. Now we're going to see that here in just a second. But just to give you this representation, this altar of incense represents... The intercessory work of Jesus Christ praying unto the Father. Anytime that you see something like incense or something that is a sweet-smelling aroma in the Scriptures, a lot of times it's pointing to the idea that our prayers are something that is pleasing unto God. That's the idea. There's there's, There's not a more perfect intercessor than the Lord Jesus Christ, and that's what this represents. Anybody confused? Pretty simple, isn't it? Good. Praise the Lord. I don't want to be confusing nobody. So now let's do this. Let's turn over to Leviticus 16. Now we do have the AED machine here for any of you that are like, we're going to Leviticus. And Roxanne can pull it out and shock you back to life so that you will be able to still turn there and follow along, right? Leviticus. Woo, a lot of dust in the air. ha, <laughs> ha. Just kidding. See, that's why I want you to use your paper Bible and not your phone because I can't see the dust from your phone. Your phone has no dust on it. Leviticus probably does. (laughs) Just put that in there and twist that around. A stab real good, right? So, look at uh, chapter 16 of Leviticus, verse 2. Yahweh said to Moses, Tell your brother Aaron that he shall not enter at any time into the holy place inside the veil. Before the mercy seat, which is on the ark. Or he will what? Die. God takes this very seriously. And here's why he, excuse me, here's why he takes it seriously. Everything that God is trying to do in the Old Testament is trying to communicate a picture that could easily be tainted by sin if the people involved were to mess it up. Let me give you an example. And if you're in the Deuteronomy class, we've talked about this over and over again when the children of Israel cried out for water because they were thirsty. God commanded Moses, go over and strike the rock and it will bring forth water. Now we're talking about probably in excess of 2 million people that are getting watered, plus all of their cattle. That's a lot of water, okay? So he goes over and he strikes the rock and everybody gets something to drink and everybody had their fill. God provides. But there also came a second time later on when they cried out for water. And God told Moses, speak to the rock, and it will bring forth water. And Moses was so mad at the people because they were griping and complaining. They didn't have the New Testament yet, so they couldn't read, do nothing with griping and complaining, right? They couldn't read that in Philippians yet. Okay, you guys are asleep, praise (laughs) the Lord. But Moses, in his anger, went forward with the rod, and he struck the rock, the second rock. And because he did not listen to exactly what God said, God disqualified Moses from entering the promised land and receiving an inheritance. Why is that? Because the rock the first time that provides freely for everyone who takes from it is an image of Christ on the cross. But the second rock... It's not one to be struck because it is the second return of Christ. He will not be struck down at that time. Instead, people will call out to the Lord for salvation at that time. Moses messed up the picture. Does everybody see that? And God disciplined him for it. So whenever God is saying, do this exactly like I tell you to do it, it's because he's got something greater to communicate so that there is no question about what he's trying to get at so notice you don't just enter whenever you want to or you'll die you cannot come into the holy of holies this enter inner place forgive me for i will what what's it say in there verse three or verse two the end of it after he will die i will what appear remember that's where he's going to meet with everyone this is where moses is going to experience intimate fellowship with the creator of all things at this place and what we commonly call this is the shekinah glory of god his presence above the ark now watch this aaron shall enter the holy place with this a bull for a sin offering you might want to write next to that one bull maybe if you're in your bible this will help you put it all together as the text goes on And notice it's for sin. A ram for a burnt offering. Now, if you remember, we talked about the burnt offering because that's what Abraham was commanded to offer Isaac up as, and that's a burnt offering. That offering lasted for 24 hours. You thoroughly roasted that offering. And that's probably what made it so grieving as a parent when you think about good grief. God is calling him to not just sacrifice his child, but to roast him for 24 hours as a sweet-smelling aroma unto him. That's crazy. And yet, again, God steps in and He provides. But notice, one ram is a burnt offering. He shall put on the holy linen tunic, and the linen undergarments shall be next to his body, and he shall be girded with a linen sash and attired with a linen turban. These are what kind of garments? Holy garments. And all of them were white to signify... Purity, notice, then he shall bathe his body in water and put them on. He was to cleanse himself thoroughly and then put on special attire. And this doesn't mean you have to dress up for church, okay? Don't everybody go crazy. But special attire in order to enter into the place of God to meet him face to face. Says here, verse 5, he shall take from the congregation of the sons of Israel two male goats. So notice what we got so far. One bull, one ram, two male goats okay look what it says here for a sin offering and one ram there's another one for a burnt offering then Aaron shall offer the bull that's the bull from verse 3 for the sin offering which is for who himself mark that in your text The very first thing that Aaron has to do after he bathes and puts on this white garment is he has to take a bull and he has to sacrifice it so that its blood will atone for his personal sin. He cannot offer something for the sins of the people if he himself is tainted. It now becomes an imperfect offering. So, the bull has to be slaughtered first. Notice it says here, which is for himself that he may make, what is the word? Atonement. It's also the word that is known as propitiation. The idea is that it covers something or it pacifies something. Or it can also mean, and has, has especially this meaning when you look at it in the New Testament, the idea of satisfying something it is satisfying it is sufficient to cover is the idea he will make atonement for himself and for his household he shall take the two goats and present them before the lord at the doorway of the tent of meeting right up here this front east part and notice what happens next aaron shall cast lots for the two goats This was something they did with pebbles in order to discern what the will of God was in a situation. Now, does that mean you can go over to Walmart and buy you some dice and try to roll a seven to see if he wants you to have a Ferrari? No, that's not what this is talking about at all. They are genuinely in the mindset of discerning God's will because they want to do the right thing, not because they're trying to get personal gain. It's not a prideful or selfish ordeal. It was full of humility and lowliness in this situation. He shall take the two goats, present them before the Lord at the doorway of the tent of meeting, and Aaron shall cast lots for the two goats, one lot for Yahweh, and the other lot for the scapegoat, the scapegoat. Let me give you this real quick, because this word has caused a lot of problems, and I'm sure that Pastor Steve can educate you far beyond what I could, but in my limited research of what I found, this word scapegoat is the idea, let me spell it for you, A-Z, A-Z, E-L. Azazel, I guess is how you would say it. A-Z, A-Z, E-L. Pastor Steve, am I saying that right? Azazel. See, he's so on it he'd have to actually see the word. Just go with the overflow, brother, it's good. So notice, Azazel. Some people have said what this is is actually is that this goat was going to be sacrificed unto a demon to pay him off so that everybody's okay. Pause for a second. Does God owe anything to demons? Not a thing, so I don't agree with that interpretation. However, what you find is that this word can very much be translated to remove entirely. It's the idea of complete, gone. In fact, if you want to write that down, complete, just put it in quotation marks and put my name next to it, right? Notice that, gone, out of here. No more part there. Notice, make atonement for himself and for his household. Uh, Sorry, we've got that uh, scapegoat. Forgive me. Uh, Other lot for the scapegoat. Verse 9. Then Aaron shall offer the goat on which the lot of the Lord fell and make a sin offering. In other words, that animal is sacrificed to atone for the sin. And that goat is for the sins of the congregation of Israel. It is for the sacrifice of every single Jew that there was in Israel. This is important. Notice what happens next. But the goat on which the lot for the scapegoat fell shall be presented alive before Yahweh to make atonement upon it, to send it into the wilderness as a scapegoat. There's not just one goat that dies for the sins of the people, and therefore the blood is used. There's also another goat that is used. That is considered the scapegoat that completely removes the sin. Does everybody see that God is painting two different pictures of the exact same thing? Sin causes death, and blood is the only acceptable means of atoning for that sin. But also, in the same light, they would put their hands on the head of the goat and send them out into the wilderness. The problem is, our goat keeps coming back once he's gone he needs to go but notice they'll sit out to the wilderness then Aaron shall offer the bull uh, verse 11 of the sin offering which is for himself and make atonement for himself and his household and he shall slaughter the bull of the sin offering which is for himself notice for himself for himself it tells you three times in that verse Aaron needs to be cleansed does everybody see that it's really important for what we're going to be looking at here in just a minute He says here, verse 12, He shall take the fire pan. That's the censer. Okay, that's the ice scooper. It's the censer. He shall take the fire pan full of coals of fire from upon the altar of the Lord. Right here, this altar of incense here. And notice what it says will happen. It will also take two handfuls of finely ground sweet incense and he will bring it inside the veil, pulling back the veil, and he alone comes in after he's washed, after he has the linen, after he sacrificed the bull for he and himself. He is now in a position of purity and sending out the goat. He's now in a position of purity where he can actually come in the presence of God and stand there without getting killed. Notice it says here, he brings it in with two handfuls of finely ground sweet incense and brings it inside the veil and he shall put the incense on the fire. So he holds this out and he sprinkles these two handfuls of incense on the fire so that it creates a smoke that goes up within here, resting above and covering the mercy seat on top of the ark. Now, watch what it says here. Notice he brings it inside the veil. He shall put the incense, verse 13, on the fire before Yahweh and the cloud of incense will cover the mercy seat that is on the Ark of the Testament. Now watch this. Otherwise, he will what? Why? Does anybody know? Think. Think, 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 think. What? Disobedience? Well, he would be disobedient if he didn't do it that way, but there's something else going on. You cannot look at God and live. No one can stand in his presence and see him and still remain alive. To see God is to be dead. And so if the presence of God is here and he comes in sprinkling this incense on it, the cloud of smoke fills the Holy of Holies and saves him from the presence of God. Now here's the amazing thing. Didn't he bathe? Doesn't he have on white linen? Didn't he sacrifice a bull for his sins? He would still die in the presence of God. Now that's Halloweenishly morbid in a way, but be honest, it's super cool to think that that's who God is. And he's inviting people, come fellowship with me. Come be close to me. Cool stuff, right? Hopefully everybody's got the willies. So moving on here. Verse 14, moreover, he shall take some of the blood of the bull and sprinkle it with his finger on the mercy seat on the east side. And why is it that they entered in on the east side? Because all of the pagans at that time worshipped the sun god facing the west. They said, no, 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 no. Put your back to the west and come in in the east. I like it. God's kind of snarky like that. So notice he says here, take your finger, sprinkle the finger on the mercy seat on the east side, also in the front of the mercy seat, he shall sprinkle some of the blood on the finger seven times right here in between these cherubim. And it says, then he shall slaughter the goat of the sin offering, which is for the people. Notice that second goat is for the people. Bring its blood inside the veil and do with its blood as he did with the blood of the bull and sprinkle it on the mercy seat and in front of the mercy seat. And he shall make atonement, covering satisfaction for the holy place because of the impurities of the sons of Israel, because of their transgressions in regard to a couple of their sins. Is that what it says? All of their sins. Let me state this very clearly. If you've ever heard of a teaching called limited atonement, it is the idea that Jesus only died for some people. Now forget what you know about New Testament verses. Jesus Christ tasted death for every man. He's the propitiation for our sins and not our sins only, but for the sins of the entire world, right? God so loved the world he gave his son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Seems like Jesus' blood covers everything but stop and just take that out of the way. If you go back to what God's trying to explain to you in the Old Testament, it wasn't that like all the Jews except for, you know, Shady McShaderson over outside the tent didn't get his sins covered. No, everybody's sins got covered. Everybody got taken care of. Everybody was brought into a point to where God was satisfied as far as the sins of the entire world people were concerned very important because this refutes that idea notice and thus he shall do for the tent of meeting which abides with them in the midst of their impurities verse 17 when he goes in to make atonement in the holy place no one shall be in the tent of meeting until he comes out get the picture only one person goes in only one high priest only one person brings in the atonement for sin is everybody starting to put together the picture of what we see in jesus christ Good, only one, only one person, only one way in and only one person can atone for the sin. Notice until he comes out that he may make atonement for himself, for his household, and for all the assembly of Israel. Now take your Bibles. Turn with me over to Leviticus 23. Let me make sure I'm telling you right. As you can see with eight pages of notes, I did a lot of studying this week. 23, look at verse 26. Yahweh spoke to Moses saying, On exactly the tenth day of the seventh month is the day of atonement. It shall be a holy convocation, a sacred assembly for you And you shall humble your souls. Everybody see humble your souls? If you got a different translation, it'll probably say, well, self-afflict is the idea. Or to suffer affliction or something like that, or self-denial. The idea is you're going to fast. That's what it's getting at. You're going to humble yourselves in such a way as to where you're abstaining from food, you're going to fast at this time. Notice, and present an offering by fire to Yahweh. You shall not do what? Is everybody still writing? I'm going to give you that one, right? You shall not do what? No work. Get that. No work. You shall not do any work on the same day, for it is a day of atonement to make atonement on your behalf before the Lord your God. If there is any person who will not humble himself on the same day, he shall cut off from his people. And any, uh, as, as for any person who does any work on this same day, that person I will destroy from among his people. You shall do no work at all. It is to be a perpetual statute throughout your generations and all your dwelling places. It is to be a Sabbath of complete rest to you. And you shall humble your souls on the ninth of the month at the evening. From evening until evening, you shall keep your Sabbath. Three things to look at that we pull from this little part when it talks about this Day of Atonement. Number one, humility. It is called upon to be in a position of humility. If you don't fast, try it. Start small. If you have a medical condition, maybe you can't fast, that's okay. But try going without food for a little while for the purpose of just focusing on the Lord, spending more time in the Word. Try that sometime. I'm not saying you got to to be saved, but if you want to talk about what it is to maybe experience a quiet time with the Lord, it's a real good way to not be worried about pork chops and worrying more about Jesus Christ. Number two, notice that no work is to be done. Do you think that he was really clear about no work being done? Notice that He gives you the reason. The reason why you don't do any work is because this is a day of atonement. Pause for a second. Which means, what place do the works of the hands of the Israelites play in atonement? Anything? None. No work. This is why salvation is by grace, through faith alone, no works can be brought to the table. If you didn't even consider... The New Testament. The Old Testament is extremely clear. No work can add to your salvation. You are saved by faith and faith alone because Jesus Christ, the only one who can come in and make atonement for you, has provided the work for you. That's it. Notice that the last thing we observe here is the consequences for not abiding by this are severe. Why is that? Because if someone were to do work on the Sabbath, what picture does that communicate about salvation? Christ wasn't enough, and you can do something to be saved. Does everybody see how serious God is about doctrine? Don't mess up salvation. That's what he's getting at. Now, here's an interesting place we turn to. And and Mitch, we're going to have Mitch just bring these up. I don't know if you've ever noticed this. But in the Gospels, have you guys ever realized that when Jesus is actually crucified, that moment, it's real brief. Has anybody ever noticed that when you've read the Gospels? Let me show you. Let's do Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Bring up the Matthew passage, please. Do we have that? Matthew twenty-seven thirty-five. Do we have those back there? It's all right, man. Mitch is doing like 40 things back there and none of you know it because there's a partition up. That is the veil that blocks you from seeing what's going on in the Holy of Holies, right? So notice, here it is. And when they had crucified Him, they divided up His garments among themselves by casting lots. That just happened. And they crucified Him. And like, it's over. I mean, do they tell you a lot of other things that are going on around it? Yeah. But as far as the actual moment when He's crucified on the cross, it's just it's half a sentence how about the next one mark 15 24 let's see that one and these are in your notes mark 15 24 and they crucified him and divided up his garments among themselves casting lots for them to decide what each man should take four words and they crucified him done how about luke luke twenty three thirty three. That's kind of cool. When they came to the place called the Skull, there they crucified Him and the criminals. Everybody see how quick that is? Isn't that weird? I mean, the crucifixion's a big deal, isn't it? Churches are known for crosses. But it's just real quick. How about this? John 19, verse 18. There, they crucified Him. You've got four, maybe five words that are demonstrating this monumental event of which the cross was pictured when they set up the tabernacle, of which the cross is pictured within the tabernacle. What in the world is God trying to communicate? This is Palm Sunday. Everybody laid down their palms and welcomed him the Messiah. Six days later, they kill him. But when we look at this idea of what is God trying to communicate? It's just mind-blowing that crucifixion goes so quickly. And they did this. That's it. So we have to look beyond that a little bit. Thankful for the rest of the New Testament because it clears it out for us. Turn to Hebrews 9. Hebrews chapter 9. And in chapter 9, verse 1, man, it's a beautiful sound. Jamie, are you making that sound? Praise the Lord. <laughs> she just stuck her tongue out at me. Lord knows your heart, girl. We'll do 1 John 1, 9 at the end just for you. Now, even the first covenant, chapter 9, verse 1, the first covenant, the Mosaic covenant, had regulations of divine worship and the earthly sanctuary. What's the earthly sanctuary? Tabernacle. And the divine ordinances is the law. That's what we're talking about for Israel. Four, here's an explanation. There was a tabernacle prepared. The outer one, that's the holy place, in which were the lampstand, we saw that, the table, then the sacred bread, table with the sacred bread on it, which is called the holy place. Now here's where some people have said, see, you got a flaw in the Bible. Here's a contradiction in the Bible. Look at verse, uh, let's see here, uh, three. Behind the second veil... There was a tabernacle, another room being the Holy of Holies, which is called the Holy of Holies, having a golden altar. Now immediately from what we just saw and what scripture tells us in Exodus 30, this altar of incense is actually sitting in front of the veil that you use to go back in there and say, well, wait a second. Why is it that they're saying here then that this golden altar of incense is actually on the other side of the veil? There must be a typo somewhere. Some people said, oh, well, as they were recording it throughout, somebody flubbed and messed up and somehow... Somehow this incense table jumped from verse 3 to verse 5, or verse 2 to verse 4. I don't believe that's it. Everybody see this word altar here? This word altar, any time that it is translated in the Greek Old Testament, is translated as the word censer. Does everybody remember? He takes the censer of the coals here, two handfuls of incense, and he goes behind the veil, and he offers up the smoke when he sprinkles the incense on him, and it goes up to cover him from the presence of Yahweh so that he does not die. That's probably what this is talking about here. Having a golden censer of incense is the idea of what he brings with him through there. And the ark of the covenant covered on all sides with gold in which, now watch this, was a golden jar holding manna and Aaron's rod which budded in the tables of the covenant. So the first item we have here is a golden jar of manna. We know manna is being called bread from heaven. It's actually listed in Scripture as the food of angels that was given down for the people to gather. And the reason why it was put together and put in here was because it shows God's provision for people. This is a representation of Christ as the provision for people. You also have, and it looks kind of like a Harry Potter wand, but it's not, but you also have... Aaron's staff that budded. Aaron's staff that budded. Is a staff living? How does it bud? By the miracle of God, that which was dead was giving life on it. Does everybody see that? This is representative of the as the instrument of the high priest that only the high priest had and would use in his offices. But we also have the two tablets of the law written front and back, one for God, one for Israel. The ten words of what it is to conduct a society in such a way as to where nations take note of holiness and the very thing that we can look at and say there is no way I can ever keep this. I am inefficient, deficient, needy. Does everybody see that? What's amazing about this is this is actually the second set of tablets that's placed into the ark. What happened to the first set? Okay, you mean to tell me that Moses, a man, broke the law? Is that what you're telling me? (laughs) Notice that. When the law is given for anybody to try to keep, the first thing they do is break it. man breaks the law. The second law, however... God is taken care of and preserved as a testimony. Now what happened here? What did we see? The mercy seat. Everybody's thinking Raiders of the Lost Ark and Harrison Ford right now. I know that you are. But what happened here? The priest went in, remember? Once a year. Took blood from the bull of himself and he sprinkled it seven times with his finger on the front. Right in between here to make an atonement for sin in between the two cherubim see this is the reason this picture right here is the reason well i believe that in genesis 4 whenever cain and abel came to offer sacrifices when we have no record of a command to offer sacrifices they probably came to the entrance of eden where the sword spun around to keep them from entering again to eat of the tree of life and there were two cherubim that said and they guarded the way they probably offered their sacrifices there It's also no coincidence that when Jesus Christ died on the cross, He died with two people flanking Him, one on each side. The atonement was made in the middle. The mercy seat is the cross of Christ. But here's what I love about this. The law's inside, right? I love the fact that the atonement of sin goes over the law. It covers it. You don't have to mess with it ever again. Jesus is taking care of the demands of the law. And He set you free from it. Now here's the great thing. Our divine High Priest. Verse 5. Above it were cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. But of these things we cannot now speak in detail. Now when these things had been so prepared, the priests are continually entering the outer tabernacle, performing the divine worship, but into the second only the high priest enters once a year not without taking blood which he offers for himself and for the sins of the people committed in excuse me ignorance now move over chapter 9 and look over at verses I've got to find them here 24 and 25 chapter 9 verse 24 just look over For Christ did not enter into a holy place made with hands. When He died on the cross, the holy place made with hands, the tabernacle, it's a mere copy of the true one. There is a true tabernacle in heaven. And it says here, but into heaven itself. Now to appear in the presence of God for who? Us. Man, that's worth underlining, highlighting, stars, if you want to put stickers, whatever. He is there in heaven presenting His offering unto the Father as atonement for us. He says here, nor was it that he would offer himself often as the high priest enters the holy place year by year with blood that is not his own. Why? Because whenever he was done sacrificing, would he sin again within a year's time? He would. And it starts over and over and over. The problems of a sinful high priest. Look at chapter 10, verse 1. For the law, since it has only a shadow of the good things to come, and not the very form of things, can never, notice this, the law can never, by the same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year, make perfect those who draw near. The law will never make us perfect. It's impossible. Verse 2, otherwise would they not have ceased to be offered? In other words, why did they keep offering if the sacrifices were to make people perfect think about this real quick in the law it doesn't just give you righteous ordinances do you realize that in the long form of the law are actually how you go about and what you sacrifice in order to make atonement for the sin god knew the law was going to be broken and he provided the grace and the propitiation the satisfaction the covering for the sin being committed in the law does that make sense yes am i the only person super excited about that we need to sign a contract with Red Bull and sugar you guys up before you get in here, right? That's good stuff. Verse 3. But in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins year after year. Verse 4. For it is impossible, it is impossible, it cannot happen for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. Look down at verse 10. And the whole idea in between there is is that Jesus was willing to come and do the will of the Father. We see that all the time, right? I did not come to do my will, but the will of the Father who sent me. So notice what it says here, verse 10. By this will, we have been sanctified. Let me help you real quick. When you read the book of Hebrews, the author of Hebrews uses the word sanctified to mean justified. That's important. And notice it's in the past tense. Have been sanctified the word sanctified there have been set apart that's what that means sanctified is the same idea as holy being set apart notice by jesus's will submitting to the will of the father we have been sanctified we have been set apart through the offering of the body of jesus christ how often Once for all. Everybody track with me, man. It's got to come off real big or I'm going to look silly. Verse 11. Every priest stands daily ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices which can what? Never take away sins. But He, Jesus Christ, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down. Sat down. Remember what we read at the very beginning, Hebrews twelve, the joy that was set before him. He endured the cross, despising the shame, and then he sat down at the right hand of the Father. Notice this, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time onward until his enemies be made a footstool for his feet at the end of the tribulation. For by one offering, for by one offering, he has what is the word church? Oh man, say it loud like you love it. Even if you don't, lie to me, okay? Notice that. For by one offering He has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified or those who are already set apart. Sin is an offense to God. Sin brings death. Only blood can atone for sin. And tirelessly, the priest had to go in every year because there's a lot of sin to be atoned for. It's interesting. The blood of bulls and goats could never pay for it. This is an insufficient means of paying for sin. But what we find is that Jesus Christ as the high priest, comes in, As only He can do, because only one high priest can enter. And because He is so perfect, He Himself, the high priest, becomes the sacrifice necessary with perfect blood that never needs to be offered again. And that perfect blood doesn't just take care of sins for the year. It takes care of sins for all time. It allows us to walk with a conscience, that's the word that they used in Hebrews, that has been perfected. In other words, you don't need to feel any guilt about doing anything and you have no obligation whatsoever to try to earn your salvation. Jesus paid for it, and when he paid for it, he paid for it perfectly. One-time sacrifice for all times. And when he was done, he sat down. Why? No more work. Nothing else left to do. In fact, when He was hanging on the cross, pouring out His life, people are mocking Him. He is naked. They're casting lots for His garments. The Pharisees are mocking Him. Blood is running down His face from the crown of thorns. He's got one guy on one side yelling and screaming at Him. He's got another guy on the other side begging for mercy. And before He willingly gives up His life, He says, Testelestai. is finished, paid in full, the provision made perfectly, dead things being brought to life, the law of God, the law of God 613 commandments. Perfectly satisfied in one person. And sealed. Father God, may we be captivated by the greatness of Jesus Christ. This Friday we commemorate His death on the cross. The very purpose in which you sent Him. Because you love people because of your hatred of sin and the fact that it separates us from you. God, you desire us so badly. You've done all the work. There's no work to do. You've provided it all, full and free. And now you offer to us to enter in by one way and one way only, and that is Jesus. We thank You, God, that He is our High Priest. We thank You, Father, that He makes satisfaction, atonement for our sin, that He has covered our debt. We thank You, Father, that the law has been put away and that He is the righteousness for all who believe. Wondrous and beautiful gifts, Lord. Beyond our understanding. Beyond our appreciation. Father, convict our hearts of the unreasonableness of our sin. Of the things we dabble in. Of the way we waste time the temptation to cheat on our taxes, the second glance that we shouldn't give, the way that we drive, the way that we speak. Help us realize that we need Your mercy every moment. Thank You for providing it continually and offering it once for all. You are good, and your love endures. We thank you for Jesus. It's in his name. Amen.